Welcome to the Small Ball Podcast. Welcome back to the Small Ball Podcast. Welcome back to the Small Ball Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Small Ball Podcast, brought to you by Showcase Sports Media. I'm your host, Matt Gregory, and man, I'm excited to be back on here because this has honestly been a rough week for me. Uh, Monday morning, I checked into GCU quarantine uh, at Canyon Hall on campus, and it's kind of just been me sitting around all week, looking at baseball news, watching the NBA draft, playing a lot of video games. Not much social interaction, so this is what I live for. I am just so excited to be back. I'm so excited to be doing this again, and I am so excited to talk with you guys about baseball. This week, we got another interview. Now, this isn't a professional player, but this is a guy that's got a really good shot of getting there. This is Nicholas Schoonover. He's a starting pitcher uh, going to Fresno Pacific University. Nick is 6'6 and throws 92. Nick is projecting really well. He's looking like he's going to become a potential draft pick in this next upcoming draft. So this is really exciting to see. Nick is just one of those guys where he walks in a room and everybody loves him. So we'll get to that a little bit later, but we've definitely got some baseball stuff to talk about first. This was a very, very interesting week. We've got a lot of stuff going on front office-wise and coaching-wise. There hasn't really been any huge free agent signings yet. Trevor Bauer's still a free agent. We'll see what happens there, but the stuff that's happened has been a lot directed towards me. And, you know, I woke up and I had a lot of texts in my phone, and I was like, oh, here we go. Not surprised. I called this in the past. Theo Epstein stepped down. So the real reason that we got to think about is what happened and why. But first of all, we, what we got to do is we got to thank Theo Epstein as the Cubs community, as one of the biggest Cubs fans you'll ever meet. Uh, thank you, Theo, for giving me the best five-year run of Cubs baseball I may potentially ever see. Obviously, I hope Jeb, Jed Hoyer does better. But this is the best I've ever seen and the best that Cubs fans have probably ever seen over a five-year period. I know Theo was with the Cubs for about 10 years, but the last five, boy, oh, boy. The 2015 team just breaking out about a year early, going absolutely ballistic, winning 97 games, winning the wild card, advancing to the NLCS, beating the Cardinals in the NLDS. That team was exciting. I go back and I watch those videos all the time because that was the beginning of Cubs baseball. 2016, obviously winning the World Series, winning it all. 2017, battling hard against a very talented Nationals team, going to the NLCS and obviously losing to the Dodgers. 2018, uh, we... That was Yeah, we don't talk about 2018. That was tough. And 2019, same thing. 2020, winning the division, getting swept by the Marlins. You know, it's, it is what it is. But, you know, that's things that Theo can't control. He got the talent there. It's up to those guys to perform. So, once again, thank you, Theo, for giving me this. Oh, my gosh. You are a legend. You're a Hall of Famer. Uh, that's, that's just the thing. Theo Epstein is a Hall of Famer, certified, ending the Cubs curse, ending the Red Sox curse. But why did they both cut him? That is what is interesting. Part of it maybe because the Cubs hamstrung themselves financially by spending too much on players, but that's not the biggest issue. Marquee Network. The Cubs launched their own TV network this year, and obviously, as in any big investment, you're not going to profit it on the first year. Obviously, it was good that a lot of people were at home, so a lot more people were watching Cubs games on TV, but the people that were going to watch were going to watch anyways. Baseball was all right this year. You know, the season was interesting, but... Marquee Network was a big reason possibly why Theo's not coming back. You know, and that's not it. It's not just Marquee and the players. The biggest issues from the Ricketts family, this is what they did. They went out and they spent a billion dollars on renovations. Wow, that's awesome, right? Yeah, but their budget was $500 million. They just had to keep renovating. They spent way too much money, and then the pandemic came. 
Now, obviously, I love that the owners are willing to spend money and make things better, but you also got to spend that money to make your team the best it can be. And another fact about it is Theo is making more than a lot of the players on the Cubs. Theo is making $10 million a year to be our GM. Obviously, he's worth it. He was worth every single penny winning us that World Series. Shoot, I would have paid him $50 million if, he would, if I would have known he won, won us that World Series. But why did Theo depart a year early? What changed? Now, these are the questions you got to ask. You got to sit back and think, why did Theo leave the Cubs a year early? Why did it seem like Theo was kicked out when he was leaving Boston? It was just because of the way that the ownership worked. They were completely fine with rebuilding. They were fine with getting cheap assets, and they were fine with getting the World Series. Boston, they got theirs. The Cubs, they got theirs. But after they won, what happened both times? The team just started trending downwards. The talent obviously got older. They held on to the core, and they didn't go out and make any more acquisitions. Now, in the Cubs' case, it was because they didn't develop a single big league pitcher the whole time Theo was here. That's absolutely unacceptable. They didn't develop a homegrown pitcher the whole time. And you know what? The one promising guy they had at the end of Theo's regime, Braylon Marquez, came up and gave up five runs in the last game of the year. Obviously, the kid's 20 years old. He throws 103. He's a lefty. Not his fault. He's going to figure it out. But that's the one guy that Theo has to show for. I mean, Adbert Alzali, I guess, too. But we haven't seen the best of him yet. So it's one of those things where, why, why did he leave? What were the common themes? It was that both teams started to get bad towards the end. No improvement. It didn't seem like Theo was being as aggressive on the market. Lack of maintenance? No. What I think happened is there was a lack of heart to win by the front office. I think both teams' front offices got comfortable being winners, being good teams, not great teams. And what they did is they just didn't want to spend anymore. They were like, oh, we're going to make us commercial. That's what the Cubs did. They made themselves commercial. They went out, they got their own TV network. That was more important than getting better players this year. Like, luckily, our starting pitching was good, but you're telling me that having Tyler Chatwood be a starting pitcher in your rotation is less important than getting Marquee Sports Network? No, it's not. It just shows the way that they valued the fans in a way that it was, it just was going. And the Red Sox, they just had aging talent on that team, and it just seemed like it was all trending downwards. And the, the sad thing about it is it looked like it was Theo's fault both times. And he even came out and said, you know, I just may not be good at maintenance. I don't think that's the case. I think the front offices are cutting him off, and I think they stopped seeing eye to eye. I think they were like, you know what? We won enough. We're just going to be good, and we're going to get better, make ourselves more promotable and all that, and that's just not the way it should be, and that's why Theo's out. But you know what, Theo? I know he said he's taking a break, but I have a hot take on what Theo's next job's going to be. I'll go ahead and give you some hints. Manfred sucks. Everyone hates Rob Manfred. I think it should become a TV show. Like, everybody hates Chris. Everybody hates Rob Manfred. Another TV show. Everybody loves Theo. Theo's a genius. He's well-loved and respected. Theo Epstein becoming the next commissioner of baseball, it just makes all the sense in the world. He knows what's best for the game. He knows the way the game's trending. Manfred called the World Series trophy a piece of metal. I thoroughly believe that Theo Epstein would be a phenomenal general manager, uh, obviously, as he's been president of baseball operations, but I think he's going to be an even better commissioner. I think Theo has the shot to do it. And now a lot of people have been saying, what are your thoughts on Jed Hoyer moving forward? You know, Jed's a smart guy. He worked behind Theo all those years. Even rumors came out. I don't know why he would say this. I don't know why he would undermine Theo like this. Apparently rumors came out 
that Jed didn't want to make the trade for Quintana where they gave up Eloy and Dylan Cease. Like, dude, like, why, why, would, why would you say that? Why would you undermine your boss? Or whoever came out with that, like, why would you say that? We all love Theo. We all know the greatness he brought. Next, oh, it's time for something interesting. The New York Mets. I ride the Mets a lot. You know, I give the Mets just as much crap as I give the fourth-place Phillies. Because the Mets have just been poorly run. And I think that era's over. Steve Cohen is in, and it's just looking up in Mets country. Now, there's a little bit of bad news, but I'll talk about that after. So there's this article written by CBS Sports uh, on some of Steve Cohen's early moves, and they're just phenomenal. Listen to this. One of his first steps after becoming formally approved as team owner was to restore the pre-pandemic salaries of Mets employees. We love that. Going out and getting the working man their money back. That's a great ownership thing to do. Then, he established a relief fund for seasonal employees who work for City Field subcontractors that will pay uh, concessioners uh, a monthly stipend until opening day. That is fantastic. This guy is really out here doing the best for his people. In related matters, Cohen early on referred to the Mets as a civic trust, which hints at long-lost stakeholders' mindset. As noted above, that isn't how most of his peers approach their obligations as team owners. A lot of these owners are out here just cutting, cutting off front office workers. They haven't paid the guys that are working selling beer and ushering in a long time. But Cohen said, you know what? No, I'm going to go out and I'm going to take care of these people. These people matter just as much. Cohen fielded ideas from Mets fans on Twitter and responded positively to the possibility of an old-timers game once fans are permitted to return to the park. That is awesome. Like, just ideas like that. Seeing David Wright playing back in uh, New York would just be phenomenal. Like, that guy is one of the most lovable players in baseball. The Mets fans love him. Seeing him come back would just be awesome. He also brought back Sandy Alderson as team president, and to hear Alderson tell it, he wouldn't have chosen to return if not for Cohen seizing the reins. Cohen's early tones of commitment to the singular goal of winning persuaded Marcus Stroman to accept the qualifying offer and return to the Mets on a one-year contract for 2021. That is awesome. Stroman played the minimum amount of games he could and then opted out. You want to know why? Because he wanted to leave New York. He didn't believe in what they were doing there. But you know what? Now he's coming back. The Mets, they've got that three-headed horse at the top of their rotation again, and they're going to be good. Cohen's going to go out and he's going to spend money. And you know why he's going to spend money? Because he also freed up $20 million because he has a scumbag on his roster. Bad news for the Mets. Robinson Cano is a two-time cheating scumbag, rivaling players I hate almost as much as, who would you think, Ryan Braun of the Milwaukee Brewers. Robbie, dude, you're a Hall of Famer before the Roys. Do it once. I've still got love for you. I love Barry Bonds. I love Sammy Sosa. I love Mark McGuire. Do it twice, man. You are you are just scum. Like, that is just a scum thing to do. Like, the first time, it's like, all right, you know what? Trevor Bauer made some phenomenal points in a video he made. Would you do steroids to get your family $215 million to become an elite player? Of course you would. If you don't have money and you need to provide for your family and your image is what's at stake, you would go out of your way to, make, to help your family out. So one time, I get it. The second time, that's just unacceptable. As a guy that's been in the game for so long, Robbie Cano is one of those guys that you feel like you have to love. But then he goes out and does something like this, and it's just, I don't know. I don't know what to think of him anymore. So I got a question. 
Should steroid offenders be in the Hall of Fame? Well, I'm answering it. Yes. Barry Bonds is the greatest hitter to ever grace the planet, and it's held out of the Hall of Fame. That is completely unacceptable. Barry Bonds is the greatest talent you'll ever see. And for the people that don't agree with me, go back and watch Barry Bonds hit. Why did they walk him with the bases loaded? Because the guy was a monster. He was a monster before the roids. He was a monster after the roids. You know what still matters? Being able to hit the ball. Being able to have the batter's eye that Barry Bonds had to have a 600 on base percentage because no one wants to pitch to you. It is just absolutely insane. This guy is one of the greatest players to ever grace the planet, and he did it once. You know what? I'm letting him off on it. I think Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame because of his talent. So Sin McGuire, they saved baseball. Go watch Long Gone Summer. That was a phenomenal documentary. You see the way those guys riled up baseball fans? In previous history, it's like when the Cardinals came back and the Rays came back and they both made the playoffs in, I think, 2011, something like that. It's just one of those things that grew the game. Those guys are huge. Let them in the Hall of Fame. The whole league did it then. Why is it that big of a deal that you have to cut them out? If you're caught once, yes, I agree. It should hurt your chances, of course. But these guys were so transcendent, you can look past it because of the greatness beforehand. I, I don't know, man. Fool me one time, shame on you. Fool me twice, no Hall of Fame for you. I know those aren't J. Cole lyrics, but they're pretty darn close. So yeah, Robinson Cano, it's one of those things where like, you just gotta live up to it, who you are. And he, you know what he's going to do? He's not going to own it again. He's going to hide behind it and say, oh, somebody snuck it in. No, dude, you did it. One time, I get it. You know, it's one of those things where it happens. You know, you could have had a spiked spiked protein. You know, And you don't know. But at the same time, like, this is the second time this is happening. You're just a cheater. All right, now let's move on to something more positive. We're hopping into the interview with Nick Schoonover. I hope you guys enjoy it. This guy is a real treat. I'm excited to talk to him. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. I hope you all have a phenomenal week. I cannot wait to get out of quarantine. And once again, hey, happy Thanksgiving. The holidays are here. Small Ball Podcast will still be going on. I'll upload. I can't wait to see you guys next week. Enjoy this interview again. Thank you all. Have a great one. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my friend, an amazing pitcher, Nick Schoonover to the podcast. Nick, he's a starting pitcher with an electrifying fastball. I wouldn't even play catch with this guy. <laughs> he hurt my hand way too bad. This guy's also got a curveball. That'll make your knees buckle. Nick, how you doing, my man? Uh, I'm doing good, bro. What about you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for asking. It's great to be yeah, out here with you, man. Yeah, bro. Uh, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited. Hey, yeah, Nick and I were actually roommates freshman year of college, and it was, yes. it was a wild ride together. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> but Nick, um, this guy actually has one of the most inspiring baseball stories, uh, one that definitely inspires me daily because I always think, like, I know I'm into the podcasting world now, not much into playing anymore, but this guy, man, he makes me not want to quit. So, Nick, if you wouldn't mind, just go ahead and share, like, where it started in high school and all that. Um. Yeah, so – uh, I went to a high school in um, San Bernardino, California, named uh, Indian Springs, a fairly new school. And um, if I'm being like just really honest, we just weren't good, especially like compared to some of the teams in our area. But overall, like 
I wouldn't cons- like I, I think I was just an average varsity player in high school in my area, but like I didn't have any looks. Uh, well, real looks meaning like I talk to coaches on like a daily basis or anything, but I just didn't really have any looks or really any opportunities. Um, but that's because I threw like 78 in high school, I mean, <laughs> talking 82. Now I'm six five. That's where I topped out, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like high school, like um, it was just average. You know, like I had decent stats and everything, but I, you know, I just wasn't really like anything and it was just I just wasn't anything special but um yeah so that leads me to I was gonna go to Chafee College um it's in Rancho Cucamonga California because they were like the really they yeah they were really like the only school that was interested and um so I applied there and everything and apparently my financial aid didn't go through so um I had to choose another school which led me to GCU and um, at the time, I didn't know how hard I was throwing. Yeah, lopes up for life. But uh, at the time, like, I really didn't know, like, how hard I was throwing. I was thinking, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm a little stronger now. I could probably hit 85. Um, so, yeah, that's when I met Matt and um, all my other roommates at GCU. And um, I think trials for what, like a month later? Yeah, trials about a month later. Yeah. I remember the first day I met you, this guy was like, where's the baseball coach? I want to go talk to him. Yeah, yeah. This guy was ready. Yeah, because one of, like, my goals growing up was just to play, like, at least college baseball or, like, hopefully professional baseball. But, like, we all know, like, how how truly hard that is. But, um, yeah, so anyways, I uh, went to GCU. I tried out. Um, I don't know what I did, but, like, I'm not making an excuse or anything, but, like, I tweaked my back before yeah. – and um, you remember that. But, um, lifting in the gym because he was getting ready for the tryout and tweaked his back. Yeah. And then um, I went to the tryouts on like 2,000 milligrams of ibuprofen. So I didn't feel anything. And um, I was throwing – I like I pitched in front of the coaches, and I thought I was throwing like 80 – at least 83. But then um, I went to go get my readings, and the coach was like – or uh, the pitching coach was like, yeah, you're 79 to 81. And I was just like – yeah, that's just unfortunate. Like, it, it was very, like, I, I know Matt was there. Like, I tried to, like, keep a positive attitude because baseball is a game of failure. But, man, it was just – it was discouraging. Like, I truly felt like I just wasn't going to play college baseball, especially, like, throwing 81 with a flat fastball and, like, barely any movement on uh, my curveball. Oh, that's but anyways, um, I – well – <laughs> it's it's different now but um so yeah so I played I um wanted to stay in shape so me and Matt we uh we both played club baseball and um you know it, it was a good experience like honest uh well yeah club baseball had better traveling than juco baseball and I, I'll, I'll get to that but um yeah it was like a good experience but I just didn't feel like I was getting better so I was just like, man, like something needs to happen. Like if I really want to change and and get better. And um, I probably talked Matt's ear off about it like the whole year, but it's okay. I, um, I kept talking about it's um it's this clinic in um, Claremont, California, but they're now in Upland. Uh, it's called PFA. Um, I always followed like their their content on Instagram and like try to 
uh, mimic like some of their drills, like just to try to get better at GCU. And I remember like showing them the mat and everything. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that summer I went to GCU and my plan was to go back after like three months of training and try out for the D1 team again in hopes that like I would make the team. And also the coaches told me at GCU that if I were 85 and up, they would take me. Exactly. So I was like, all right, I think mentally I was like, all right, if I just grind for these three months, like I was like, I I think I have a good shot. So yeah, that summer I was grinding. Like I'm not even playing with you guys like five days a week, four hours a day, just lifting, throwing, like just getting better. Um, Yeah. And I did get better, but there's a lot of people there that encouraged me to go to a JUCO to actually get like, cause JUCOs is like, it's literally the way to go. Honestly, like if you play JUCO baseball and if you show up to practice and if you grind, like I would say it's like, there's like an 80% chance that you'll place at least summer, at least like at an NAI or something. So like, yeah. I feel like JUCO just kind of keeps your dream alive in a way, especially for the kids who like didn't get recruited out of high school or kids who aren't D1, D2 level yet, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, so um, I went to my school, which is – or my old school, which was a San Bernardino Valley College, and i um, still a little discouraged because um, not to, like, talk down on club baseball. Like, there was, like, decent hitting. But, like, when you transition from, like, club baseball to, like, juco ball in Southern California – where, I mean, there's roughly, like, the best competition in baseball in the nation. You know, it's it's a big difference. Oh, yeah. No, I get that. And, um, you know, my school, Valley, like, we're known, if I'm just being honest, like, I, I like the program. I like the coaches. Like, I love my teammates. But um, we're not cons- – I mean, we were considered, like, years ago, like, a, a good JUCO team. But um, this year we, we weren't considered a good JUCO team because of the way that we've been playing – the last year. So um, I went in, I was like, all right, I'm going to be a starting pitcher here. Yeah. And th- this is, this is just to show you how good Juco baseball is. Like even at my school, we had two kids throwing 93. We had um, like, I think we only had two pitchers below 82. Everyone else was 85 plus. So it's like, that was like another like discouraging factor. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just persevered, just kept grinding. Um, I would put an extra effort. So the way my JUCO warmed up, um, we would just stretch. And then our coach would just make us run like forever, which got me mad. But um, I just stuck to my PFA drills like every day before practice. Like, I would show up an hour before practice, do my PFA sub, get get loose the way they want me to get loose. And then I would do the stuff at Valley. And I would do that like every single day. There's maybe like one or two practices of the whole year that I didn't do that, but that's because of like school purposes. But um, yeah, then after that, I would lift. I'll get home around 12 a.m. and um, wouldn't get that much sleep. But yeah, like I, I just really wanted to leave after one year. Like I really wanted to go somewhere. And then, um, yeah, so season happens and um, I have a, I have a good season. I, through 10 innings as a reliever. Um, I think I had a 0.87 ERA. I only allowed one run, nine Ks. But keep in mind, like, this is a shortened season and everything. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, question I had for you, uh, club baseball, that takes a year of your eligibility off, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Still so that's, so yeah, this is like, yeah, sorry. But, um, like the, the unfortunate thing about that, like if you do play club baseball, just realize that it is going to take a year of eligibility away. So that kind of sucks, but so I did. Did you lose a year of eligibility at Valley or are you still technically going in as a sophomore eligibility? Um, so that's a good thing. Um, COVID, they gave everyone an extra year of eligibility. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I'm super grateful for that. So, yeah. Yeah. And so how did the recruiting process between you and uh, Fresno Pacific work out? Um, so it actually started, like, right when season ended. So um, one night I was in class. I got a call, like, just a random call. And it was actually from Dickinson State University. And that was, like, the first school that kind of contacted me. And um, I talked to them, like, they're, they're cool. They seem like a good program. Um, but at the time, every single bullpen, I was sitting, like, 84, 85, touching 86. Okay. And then um, one bullpen, like, my friend, like, just told me, like, explode off the mound, like, just throw. Like, don't even – just trust your athleticism. Yeah. So that's what I did. And um, that bullpen, I didn't throw a pitch below 87. I, I think I sat, like, 87 to 90. I hit 90 for my first time. And, um, I'm like, I'm all, I, I think I'm, I've been strong enough to throw 90 and like, I, I still do lack mobility. That's why I don't throw 95, but I think it was in me. I just didn't know how to use it. And, um, yeah, so I finally, like, I guess learned how to use my legs a little more and I touched 90 and then, um, PFA kind of helped me out. And then, um, I just started emailing coaches that's a big thing. When you get recruited or if you want to get recruited, like you have to have something to show for, honestly. Like I, I wasn't going to send videos of me throwing like 84 to like a D1. You know what I mean? Because the reality of that is like they're not going to take you unless like you just have really good stuff. But, but yeah, so I was like 87, 90. Like I'm, you know, I, I'm sending that to D1, D2s. And, yeah, so I, I came in contact with FPU. Um, their coaching staff was, like, really cool, um, Christian college and everything. And, um, yeah, like, I think a week later, I had, like, 12 baseball scholarships just from that, that one – yeah, that one bullpen. And um, I ended up choosing FPU. That's awesome, man. All right. Yeah. So I know you, like, talked a little bit about JUCO – but uh, mm-hmm. encourage the JUCO path, which I think you should. It worked for you. So oh, d- definitely. Worked for a lot of yeah. people. Uh, but let's go through that like JUCO path real quick. First of all, I need to hear your funniest teammate story. You're always <sighs> into something. The two of us, we were always into something funny. I need to know. Give me a funny story from JUCO baseball. A funny story? Your favorite. All right, so, so, so. <laughs> All right, this is like this is like the definition. This story is like the definition of JUCO baseball. Okay. <laughs> so our whole season, we had um we had three we had three or four coaches, right? So like next thing you know, in the spring, we have like a random coach, and he's our coach. We're like, who the heck is this guy? And um, we found out that like one of our coaches rec- like met him on OfferUp. 
<laughs> and offered him a job, bro, in the spring. And I kid you not, this guy didn't know. Like, he taught – he coached us like we were in a little league. Oh. And, like, just the – and honestly, like, if you played against us, I'm sorry because he would, he would, always, he would always be screaming, like, like, it's Sunday league. But, man, like – yeah that that's just i think that's like just the most juco thing ever that's awesome man yeah so like going into juco ball uh like what's the truth of the travel like i know you said you guys didn't travel as much as club ball what did travel mm-hmm. look like did you guys did you guys have buses <coughs> buses did you okay um so like a lot of teams or i would say a lot of teams that like had more money would uh, travel on charter buses. Okay. But we personally, like, we traveled in vans. Okay. We did. We did travel to. Um. um we did travel to two, like I think two games in a charter bus because they were kind of far. But overall, like, it was just in vans, you know. And I, I, I think we would travel like thirty minutes, thirty minutes to an hour. So I mean, it wasn't like nothing too special but it was still fun like the competition is great yeah, exactly okay and yeah. then during that travel was it like did the team give you guys a stipend for food or was it like you paid for your own food on the trip um so i'm not gonna expose uh, anything from valley but we got eight dollars i mean we felt like we should have got a little more sometimes but yeah we got eight dollars um okay. for food money all right and then did you guys uh, so hotel wise that if you guys ever stayed in a hotel that would have been covered by the school of course? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were supposed to because we have um a team a team called a uh, Saracoso. Okay. And our in our conference and they're I think like Central California or like Northern California. So I'm pretty sure like we would have stayed in hotels um when we played against them. So a lot of JUCO ball like Southern California wise. I know the competition's phenomenal, so you really don't have to travel far to play good games for your conference. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of that was just inner city, like hour, two hour drives for games is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, I know. Um, well, I know last year where the year before I was at Valley, they were in a San Diego conference, like with really good. Yeah. Like arguably probably the best conference in California and they would travel like three hours okay. per game. But like, since um, we, What's our conference? I don't know, but our con like our in our conference, we um everyone was pretty close, so yeah, that was good. That's awesome. Okay, so you, I know you were talking about practices. You would show up an hour early. How long? Yeah. Were, how often were they? Um. Yeah. So um, I think so in the fall. Um, we would start at one forty-five, and we would end practice at four thirty. Okay. And then in the spring, like during season, it would honestly just to be like, all right, hitters, you're going to hit BP today. Pitchers, you're going to shag and do towel work or guys need to throw their pins and throw your pins. So like those were like one to two hours long. But in the fall, like the fall of a JUCO, like a, the JUCO fall baseball season is just a grind for yeah. any any JUCO. Because, you know, like JUCOs like, well, it, well only in California, like, they're not allowed to give scholarships for baseball. Okay. But, like, man, like, I know we started off with 60 kids in the fall, and we, we brought it down to, like, 20, 25, 26. A football team to a baseball team is what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. It, it was stressful. It was stressful because, like, you're battling for a spot every day, and that's just the reality of it. 
but like it's like you've been saying like your whole life you've just been battling like you said you were oh yeah and you battled so you could get some recognition you didn't get the recognition you wanted you went to gcu you battled there and then you got you went home you worked hard all summer so like it's one of those things that you're one of those people that's just battle tested and yeah i know that you're supposed to be talking to me here you're supposed to be dropping knowledge on me but that's gonna be big for you man like say you do get oh yeah being battle tested is huge oh for sure i think yeah yeah like well, I think just, that's just how baseball is. Like, I feel like there's those kids who are just, like, naturally talented. But then I feel like, like, I know this isn't baseball, but, like, look at Tom Brady. Exactly. Look look how, you know, like, look how he grinds. Like, that's someone that, like, I truly admire. And I, I try to, like, bring his focus to baseball and um, just have that mindset, man. I, I feel like baseball is really about just perseverance that's and awesome. just staying, yeah, and just staying consistent and you're lifting your throwing, like your recovery, like everything that, that really plays a, plays a huge role into um, your development. All right. So next, uh, what is the living situations like for like Juco baseball? Are there dorms on campus or is that kind of. Um, so um, for baseball, there's no dorms, but I know like a lot of schools or oh, yeah, a lot of Juco's in my area, they have dorms, but only for football players. Okay. So, yeah, like, because we had, like, kids from Florida playing football at our school and stuff. Okay. So I, I really don't know how that worked. But I know for baseball, like, we had kids driving an hour a day. Yeah. Just just to – yeah, just to, just to practice and, and try to win a spot. That's awesome, man. Uh, so classes. Um, I know you did a semester at a university or two, a year at a university, and you did a year at a JUCO. Like, what are the differences? Uh uh, I, I feel like uh, I feel like the well, my professors at my JUCO like some were like really lenient and like understanding and like tried to work with you, but then some are like like them mentally like oh this is an easy class to me so it should be easy to like everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it, it's kind of like any school like you have your professors that you really like and then you have the ones who are like really picky and strict. And are just hard to deal with. Yeah, part of that challenge was in the classroom for you then too, huh? It was it wasn't an easy it wasn't an easy one. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's hard when um yeah, no, it's it's definitely hard being a, a student athlete at a JUCO, especially in the fall, like just with those long practice hours and then you, we would lift at a JUCO, but like we would only lift for like forty five minutes. Okay. So it's like what can you get done in forty five minutes? You know what I mean? So you would be home by midnight every night. And then you yeah. work on top of that. Like there's still a lot to do. And yeah. You probably had to get up early to lift in the morning. So that's, that's, a, that's tough, man. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a grind. That's why I like time management, especially as a student athlete is huge. Yeah. Just planning out your days. Like that's the best thing you could do. All right. Yeah. No, dude, I get that. It's, it's a grind, but like you said, it's worth it. It got you to where you wanted to be and it's going to get you to where you need to be. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. But, yeah, still got a lot of work to do. It's an uphill battle, but we're still fighting, right? Yes, sir. All right, so what is your favorite place that you've ever played a game? I personally know uh, you played a, play, a game in a really cool place. It's on your Instagram. Uh, but what's your oh, favorite yeah. place? I'm going to give you two, two of my favorite places. Okay, yeah, let's hear it. Or, uh, ooh, it's hard because, man, like, uh, shout-out to, like, Mount Sac and RCC, like, 
for being regular JUCOs, like, man, their fields are like D1 facilities. Okay. So shout out to them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Matt already knows, but my JUCO, we had an opportunity to play at Angel Stadium. And um, that was just unreal. It yeah. was, yeah, it was, man, it was, it was, I can't explain it. It was just so fun. And there's a video of you out somewhere on the internet getting a K at Angel Stadium. Is that something oh, yeah. you see in the future? Oh, man, I hope so. But, you know, like with um, the development of like, you know, like pitchers in general, man, to be in the league, you have to throw 95 ups. Yeah. And it's, man, that's, you know, I'm I'm over here just throwing everything I got and just barely touching 91. And, man. I just – I don't know how they do it sometimes. I'm like, man, this guy's a – he's not human. Like, Garrett Cole, he's not human. There's no way. Yeah. Hey, so, Nick, uh, one, one, a couple more questions for you. These are going to be more baseball-related. You were talking about the league. Who's your favorite pitcher in the major leagues? Um, Like, present or, like, all time? Right now, who's your favorite pitcher? Okay. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. Trevor Bauer. Um. I'm I'm like a big fan of uh, like you Darvish, uh, Garrett Cole, um, Degrom, but I, I you know I feel like for me in general like I love Trevor Bauer and like what he does and um, how he prepares for starts and his mentality. Um, I think his his rants are a little cringe, but um, I think. Yeah, he's just he's a guy. I'm I'm so happy. Matt Matt knows how happy I am. Like yeah. he won the NL Cy Young. Like that's huge for him. So like good for him, you know. I mean, and I know I know you're I know you're a Giants fan, but there's rumors that he yeah. might be an Angel next year. Yeah, no. Um I really hope he goes to the Angels. Angels are the Padre. Like I just want him to be in California. <laughs> I will go to so many games. Yeah. All right, well, Nick, that's all I had for you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for dropping some knowledge about, like, the truth about, like, what JUCO baseball is like. Oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, thanks for sharing your story, inspiring people. I really appreciate you coming on, and I hope you have a great night. Yeah, no problem, bro. You too.